Welcome back to the Cairo London Podcast. It's Craig McLean here, your host, and today I am stoked to get uh, Matt Rabin, Dr. Matt Rabin, on the pod. He is the actual head of physical therapy for uh, EF Education Nippon Pro Cycling Team. Bit of a mouthful. He's been with what is effectively the Slipstream Management Group uh, and Jonathan Vorders for like uh, 13 years, I think he said. So he has been with the team through all sorts of um, variations and versions from when it was Garmin to Cervelo. He's had Bradley Wiggins on the team, David Miller, uh, to its current lineup with Hugh Carthy and um, Lockie Morton and, uh, you know, Rigo, Rigoberto Aran and, and all that sort of stuff. So he's... You know, it's kind of a bit of a, a, a fanboy moment for me where I'm bringing in my two worlds as a chiropractor. I was keen to talk to him about what he does with a pro cycling team. And also as an amateur cycle racer, uh, I was quite keen to listen to how he works at the top level with these guys to get the performance gains, right? So... We go into everything from what his day looks like uh, in the Tour de France. He's been on site for 13 Tour de France's. Uh, he's around in training camps for pre-season and he talks us through some of the stuff they do with bike fitting and, you know, uh, pre-season build-up. So, uh, yeah, look, he's a really humble guy. Um, you know, I love the way that he's like, look, I've been doing this for 13 years, but I still feel like I'm learning every day. Um, and that's the sort of guy you want on your team. I think someone who who knows when he doesn't know uh, and will do whatever it takes to um, pull things apart. And, um, you know, if you're sort of operating on fine line margins as cyclists do, uh, it's interesting to hear what it's like from the inside. Uh, my other favourite thing to talk about is obviously heart rate variability and WHOOP and EF Education is sponsored by WHOOP. So we have a little discussion towards the end about heart rate variability and how they actually do use the raw data as a team um, to look into sleep and recovery. So uh, plenty in this one for everyone, obviously, especially if you're a cycling fan, then sit back and have an armchair ride through a crazy world that is pro cycling. And obviously I'll be doing that while drinking uh, a cup of Ground Coffee Society coffee. Thanks guys for supporting the podcast. Uh, you can contact a Ground Coffee Society at groundcoffeesociety.com to get some deliveries of Nespresso pods, their own coffee in the pods, or the Ground Coffee. I love the caveman. Anyway, I'm drinking it right now. Hope you guys are too. <laughs> Over to Matt. Okay, Matt Rabin, welcome to the Cairo London podcast, mate. Um, I've been look. This is something I've been meaning to. Thanks for get coming on, but I've been meaning to get you on for ages because. Well, let's explain who you are. You're and correct me if I'm wrong. You're the head of physical therapy for uh, EF Education Nippo Pro Cycling Team. Yes, mate. Spot on. Uh, thanks for having me as well. Much appreciated. <laughs> it's been it's been a while since we've uh, been able to catch up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously the reason why I've been hunting you down is because I'm, I'm kind of like that, that mad uh, sort of uh, a bloke who's too old who still considers himself to be a bit of a sort of an athlete himself. And um, like last night, I was even at the Hearn Hill Velodrome racing with all these kids, right, nice. in five degree temperature. And it was just madness, right? Um, yeah. 
That is me. Mate, I'm 49 and I'm still doing that. Um, But so obviously then I've got this like conversation with you is going to bring in these two worlds of mine that collide regularly, right? (laughs) Um, And I kind of... You know, I, I I am not a chiropractor that looks after cyclists, but I am a sort of this amateur racing cyclist who is a chiropractor, right? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so you, so you, so you got a good, great understanding about you know the biomechanics, how it works, how your body works, how it needs to work as relates to cycling. So you know, you you you're more than halfway there. To be honest, you know what I mean. <laughs> but this is why I really want to pick. I, I want to pick your brains because you know I know for over a decade now you've been looking after athletes at the top of their game, uh, and you play a fairly big role, I think, in sort of helping them out. You know, and so um, you know it's going to be fun, just kind of like pulling it apart. Uh, I want to sort of go into a fair bit of detail. You know, um, yep. look, and 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 I don't want this to be like a chiropractic instructional. That's not what it's about. It's a kind of a little bit about like your life story and 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 you know, the sort of day-to-day stuff that these guys do and you help them do, you know? So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, mate, no worries. Well, so do you, do, mate, kick off by telling us what actually is the head of physical therapy for your pro cycling team. I mean, basically, I've been, as you know, I'm a chiropractor sort of by trade and I've been with the team since the team started in 2008. It came out as a slipstream sports back in 2008. So we did our first Tour de France uh, in 2008 as Garmin. We were team, we were known as Team Garmin for quite a few years. And so I was one of uh, two chiropractors on the team at that time. Um, previously, the, the previous incarnation of the team was a team, was known as TIA CREF, and it was a developmental American-based team that our sort of CEO, JV, Jonathan Borders, had put together. And so in 2008, they basically got the funding and they decided they wanted to go to the World Tour. And so the one chiropractor who was American, um, Kevin Reichman, had been working with them in the States. They came to Europe. They needed a, had a European-based program and they were looking for a chiropractor to work with the team. And because I had a bit of history with one or two of the riders that went to work for that team, Christian Vanderveld, Magnus Baxter, David Miller, I've met before as well. So it was a natural kind of thing so what, actually what happened was because I'd worked with Christian Vanderbilt for a couple of years before he sort of told me early in 2007 look I'm, I'm looking to go and join this new American team that's starting and you know I really like it if if, if I go to that team if, if you'll come and work with me and work with the team so that's kind of how it started so, so my first conversation with, with JV was uh, in 2007 the Tour de France started in London um, if you recall, many, many moons ago. And um, so I met JV there and basically we had a chat, we had a conversation, met, met in this hotel in town and explained a bit about what I did. He explained about what the team was. And it was like, okay, great. Yeah, next year, let's get going. And that, and that was kind of it, really. So in 2008, <clears throat> I did a few days on the road with a team, different races. Um, and in 2009, 2010, I mean, it just kind of went, got rolling from there. And as the, as the team as a world tour, if you like, as a, as a, as a cycling body, it became a bit more, um, I wouldn't say more professional because it's always been professional, but there was, it became a more support wrapped around our riders. And I guess because myself and Kevin were chiropractors, it naturally felt, felt that, and I think the skill sets of chiropractors works really well with, with cyclists, which we can, we can come to later, but, um, fundamentally like we just sort of got more chiros involved. And then after about five or six years, Kevin decided he didn't really want to travel so much uh, from the States um, coming to Europe. It, you know, it, it's, it's a long, it's a long haul when you when 80% of your racing is in, is in Europe and you know, you're, you're American based. Um, so I sort of 
de facto became the sort of lead of that department, if you like. So, you know, I helped build the team. We've got five chiropractors. We have a physio who basically runs, um, you know, who, who, who run, who's on who's on camp, camp on um, on site in Girona and, and runs a lot of stuff out of there. <clears throat> and we've had one or two osteopaths over the years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so, yeah, so, so my role is basically clinically leading that group. Um, we have sort of weekly or bi-weekly performance calls with different departments. So head of medical, Kevin Sprouse, and the head of performance will be on that call. Our CEO will be on that call. Our general manager will be on that call. Our head sports director will be on that call. So we meet, we have these virtual calls now over Zoom every couple of weeks and talk about all things related to team performance-wise, where we're going, what's needed, et cetera. And then the team, there's many different groups which have, <clears throat> excuse me, weekly calls. Um, so for example, there's a sports directors will have a call and sometimes I'll jump in on that meeting if there's anything to report back on any of the riders. And so like, you know, I can't, we got 200 race days on the, on the road. I can't and don't cover all of those. And so what I was looking for, so previously I used to do hundred, 110 days on the road, but it's quite difficult to manage working clinic with working on the road. And I, and I've always been an advocate of it. You want experts who are really, really good at their craft um, working in your team so what what I what I found was that if you're if you're traveling on the road for 40, 50, 60 days working with a professional cycling team, and the rest of your time you're in clinic seeing all kinds of patients, sports, uh, non-athletes, general public, you know, weekend warriors, you're really honing your craft and you're you're seeing a lot of high volume of the same kind of thing. So that when you go on the road, you've seen these things hundreds and hundreds of times. So so it's much easier. So Rather than having somebody on the road, having me full-time doing 200 days, seeing the same 30 riders and de-skilling over the last 15 years, I was more okay. So let's let's get four or five guys in um, who can come in and out, de- de- uh, deliver their expertise. Um, I, I, I'll clinically lead that and <clears throat> and give them the guidance in terms of what I think it's required to, to work with the team. And then they sort of would feed back into me, feed back into the medical team, um, and yeah, and that's kind of how it's that's kind of how it's evolved, really. And, and so, so now here we are, season 13, 2021, and it's just kind of rolling. Yeah. So look, I mean, and obviously I was listening to JV talk about like the early inception on an earlier podcast uh, myself, and he was like, you know, obviously at the early days he was washing the team bus and being uh, DS yeah. at the same time as trying to sort of raise money for the team, you know. Uh, and yeah. I can imagine you were there sort of around those same times where it's sort of your early days uh, would be very much like a one-man or two-man show, you know what I mean? Um, and then you had to do more than you probably do right now. Um, yeah. But just – yeah. Either way, and, and be it you know now or earlier on, just give us like because I, I think we should just get straight into the nuts and bolts of your typical day on a standard yeah. Tour de France day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you actually do with your nine or I guess it's eight riders now? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, every day. Just walk us through. Uh, you, okay. So, so, so basically, you're right in in so much as uh, you know, back in the day, you might do a little bit more than than what typically might be under your job description. But I think what I've found in my experiences in pro sports across all the different kind of ones that I've worked in, that's typically the case. So if you take the Tour de France as a classic example, let's say the team has, I don't know, 25 or 30 accreditations, right? So that means only 30 people can be at the race on any given day because um, the ASO, the ECI say that's your lot, right? So what happens is you'll have your, your you know, eight riders, you'll have three 
sports directors, you'll have four or five mechanics, you'll have four or five soigneurs, you might have a general manager, you'll have one or two press people, then you have a chiropractor uh, or, or maybe a physio or an osteo or maybe two or three of those. Um, but fund- fundamentally, what that means is, if you imagine, when when can someone like me affect, be effective and do their job? Well, I my biggest value that I can offer the team is aside from like advice and opinions and stuff is basically interactions with the riders. So when, when would that be? That's kind of in the mornings before the stages on the bus before the start, maybe immediately afterwards, but not so much. And then in the hotel when, when you get back. So if you look at that, there's, 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 there's only a window of a few hours, a big part of that during the day, there's like five or six hours, seven hours, maybe when you're going to the start, riding the bikes and getting back from the hotel that's a big chunk of the day where you can't actually deliver your um, your role, if you like. So fundamentally, yes, you could say during that time, you've got 22 other riders at other races, and yet I can liaise with them, um, you know, phone calls or emails or what have you, whatever it might be. In fact, this morning, I've got one, I've got to speak to one of our riders who's coming back from an injury. It's a, you know, it's a classic example. Like I'm not at a race today, but we still have that contact. Um, but uh what that means is, so like a, a typical day, you get up, like what might seem like the crack of dawn. You got again, you got a small window to be to, to be effective. So most staff that work like on a on a Tour de France stage, if you're going to do some exercise, you got to you got to do it early, right? Because no one wants to see um, you going out for a run or a walk when everyone else is working. That's not a good look, right? So typically, you'll have a, like a either a running group or a group of guys will go out for a walk early doors. So let's say it might be as early as 6.30. It might be as late as 7, 7.30 in the morning. People get up and do exercise. It's kind of quite cool because I like to go out for a long 30, 40-minute walk every morning just to get my body moving. You know what I mean? I'm not a massive fan of running, but I'll go out for a long walk. And we might be in the middle of the mountains or middle of a city, but you'll often see <clears throat> staff from other teams either running or walking you'll see your own staff your own uh like colleagues running and walking so it's kind of this little community you'll see in the morning so that happens you go out for you do your exercise you come back then we'll have breakfast any given time so breakfast for for the staff which kind of will be usually about an hour an hour and a half before the riders will have their breakfast so the staff get up have their breakfast i'm kind of like lucky in so much as as a chiropractor my role is alluded to what you said earlier about multiple roles i'm quite lucky because my role is as a chiropractor and so i don't i'm not necessarily fulfilling the role of a soigneur um when i'm at races which might be so soigneur in cycling you know is a carer which basically would would do they do a lot of stuff right so they make the water bottles they make the pat lunches they fill up the coolers they fill up the cars with bars and gels they make sure the inside of the cars are clean they get all the washing done so it's a lot of it's a lot of work you know and they really are partly the glue that holds everyone together right so, um, so they'll get up really early and start all those things. So they'll be, uh, they'll be like filling the cars with water bottles, let's say a hundred water bottles in each cooler, rotating the water bottles and the drink mixes from the day before, making sure all the cars and all the vehicles have enough bars and gels in them because they've been used up the day before, making sure the cars are hoovered. So when that's happening, I might be, you know, faffing around in my room, sort of either having my breakfast there or, or getting ready to prepare for the day. And then, Myself, the doc, sometimes the sports directors, sometimes the soigneurs, two mechanics, whoever's, there's a role in breakfast, right? So the role in breakfast, um, you know, it's, it's not like here's the time that you have to be at breakfast. It's more a case of this is the time we're leaving. Everyone knows that their jobs have to be done by this time. So everyone works back from there. You know what yeah. I mean? Okay. So you, you have, you'll, have, you'll, have, you'll have a schedule. It'll say this is the time you're leaving. And then prior to that, it'll say this is the time your bags are out. 
So if it says bags out at like nine o'clock, that means your bag has to be on the truck or in the vehicles ready to go. So my, my cargo table has to be in the truck, in the car, ready to go. Because if you miss, miss bags out, it, 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 it all falls over, right? Um, and then, so the riders will have, have a bags out time and their bags out will be like, depending on what time we're leaving, um, then, then the soigneurs or, or, or any staff who's walking past a room with a rider's bag outside, you'll pick it up out of courtesy because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, as I said, there's a finite number of people and a lot of work to get done. It must um, be madness, mate. It's like, uh, but hey, so look, focusing specifically on the sort of like the medical aspect of things, right? Yeah. Two things. Yeah. Does, do, do the swanies still do the massage therapy or is it a specific massage role? No, yeah, the, swan, the soigneurs do all the massage. Yeah. yeah. So, so they do the massage post-ride as well. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, so you know they're obviously a pretty skilled or yeah. motivated and bunch, and they'll do and they'll do massage like pre pre race as well. Like someday you know yeah. you're getting back on the bus, they'll have a the lads will have a quick maybe have a five minute flush before they get on their bikes. And it sounds like there's about like one swanny for two riders or something. Is that right? Give or take, um, yeah. yeah, give or take. Yeah, if very, okay. I mean, so then from a, like going go on from a medical perspective, like I'll drop into the lads when they're having breakfast, just check everyone's okay if anyone's got any issues if they haven't great then i'll sort of like disappear in the wallpaper and disappear back into the you know into the ether then we'll get to the start on the start when they're all getting dressed getting changed having the meetings that's when one or two might say matt this is stiff this is sore can you stretch me here can you move me there etc uh or there'll be one or two guys that might want to get taped up knees backs necks wrists um achilles whatever and and a lot of that will be done sort of when the team bus is parked up at the start yeah. and yeah. the table will come out and then that's when they've that little bit of time before they need to warm up or whatever and then they'll yeah. sort of um, consult you then right yeah yeah no no table no table it's all, all treatments done like at the back of the bus on the on the you know it's, it's done sans table do you know what i mean it's like you yeah. all do it you do it like what you do if you're treated in a field kind of thing yeah yeah it's, it's funny because you know uh, I was half expecting you or maybe wondering if it was a thing and it sounds like it's definitely not where all eight of them just lined up on your table and you just screened them and checked them every morning and then they knew that they were on the top of their game uh, at the start of every day. But it's maybe yeah. not quite like that? Or? Well, no, no, it's, it's not really like that at all. I mean, like, like, you, like you see in clinic, you have some patients you want to see all the time and you'll have some patients who don't like that, don't yeah. like that approach or need that approach very often so i have some guys i'll have some some riders who want to get checked in the morning and i want to get checked in the evening right i have some riders who will want to get checked every evening i'll have some riders who i'll have to chase down they'll be in absolute agony but they'll be like no i can cope do you know what i mean yeah and, and, and then you'll have some guys you might that you might see every two or three days you might have some guys that you'll see only when they crash so there's lots of there's lots of there's a lot there's lots of nuance to it and to be to be to be frankly honest, if you had to see eight riders before and after every stage, you, you'd never get finished. I mean, I've been at stages of the Tour de France where we'd still, I'd still be working at like 11, 11.30 because it's been a hard, heavy day and you don't get back to the hotel till late and then the window's sort of moving. So it, as I said, so you know, I treat on the I treat on the bus, then then they're, then they're then they're off riding their bikes, right? So during that time, I might then be responsible for driving to the side of a mountain and giving out feed bags or giving out um uh giving out drink mixes um or i might be asked to, to to work the finish line which is basically being on the finish line you know when they come in etc so you're, you're kind of during that time when you can't deliver your actual specific specialized role you're an extra pair of hands fundamentally. Yeah. 
So reverse it back a little bit there, though, because um, let's get into, I said it wasn't going to be a Cairo instructional. Yeah. Um, yeah. Give us your, like when you're on the bus or when you're, I, I guess back at the hotel, you've got the table out and yep. in your room and they can swing by and see you or you'll swing by and see them or, or, or whatever yep. it might be. Um, but, you know, your skill set as a chiropractor, um, what's the most important stuff? Is it sort of, do you, is it that thing where different athletes have different favorite things you do or do you sort of just screen them like you would a normal patient and just say right your atlas is out here because your next you know or your pelvis yeah. is like i'm sure your power's out on the left side all that sort of stuff or what well so, so how i work is basically i try and fit the skill set i have to the problem that's, that, that, that they have if that makes sense so like i'll say okay what's going on you know what i mean like what they'll say i've got the, before the start it's usually i've got x or i've got y or Whereas a little bit later on, it might be, okay, I'm feeling I'm not getting power through my left side, or I'm feeling that when I'm climbing, I feel a bit twisted out of the saddle, or I'm feeling that my ankle can't move over or can't get into dorsiflexion or, or move properly. So depending on what they tell me their problem is, or that, you know, they feel like I'm pedaling squares or I'm getting, or my neck is stiff, whatever it, the problem is, that's when I'll sort of deploy whatever skill set it might be, whether it be manual therapy by, you know, manipulate manipulation, um, or, or ART or, um, or some AK type stuff or some neurological integration or some, some, some exercises that I might specific exercises to prescribe certain thing. Or I, or I do a lot of, um, I might do a lot of vision, uh, uh, vision drills or balance drills with them to sort of turn on, switch on certain lights in the body to have the effect that we want. So that, that's kind of how I, how, how I approach it. Yeah. And that's what I do love about some of the stuff that I know you do is that you are, you know, a pure chiropractor in the best sense of the word. You know what I mean? You've got a lot of skills with regards to not just the manual adjustment, but, um, uh, you know, a few other bits and pieces on top of there. But it sounds like, like it's not it's not like that classic, like the, the, the real framework backbone, if you want yeah. bad energy, yeah, yeah. is the kind of nervous system of that athlete. Right. And yeah. you're trying to tap into and get the most out of that person's nervous system as you possibly can. Yeah. Um, and yeah, look, some athletes are kind of like, uh, you know, I'm sure Sean Kelly probably didn't go to the chiropractor that much because he probably just got on with it. Right. Um, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and, and there must be a certain element of buy-in by the athlete to sort of go, okay, yeah, that's amazing, that's really helping me. And others are just like, look, I'm, I'm solid, I'm good. You know, but, but, you know, that's what I love about the sort of stuff that it sounds like you're doing, where you're you're adjusting the spine in a fairly traditional method. You're, um, but you'll sort of bring in some muscle testing, some, you know, neurological stuff, just to sort of try and get people firing at their best, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, you've hit the nail on the head there. Fundamentally, like. As chiropractors, you know, we're always sort of told that, like, the nervous system, nervous, that, that's how I, 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 I kind of look at everything from a, a central nervous system perspective. What does their brain say is going on in their body at any given one time? And I try and put myself, despite what they might tell me where they're feeling the problem, I'll try and put myself as, uh, place myself as the expert to try and fix or facilitate or work with that issue to try and improve it. And there's, as you know, there's so many different windows into ways we can do that that might seem a little bit obscure. Like I remember during the Tour de France last year, one of our riders, for example, was telling me that um, when he when he's when he's pedaling, the inside of his the inside of his heel was sort of like rubbing, was like clipping the pedals, and the and the other knee was like rubbing the frame. And he'd been doing his stretches and exercises, and it wasn't working. We'd been doing some manipulation, it wasn't working. And what we found was um, just looked at some basic, some balance and vestibular type stuff, gave him some simple exercise to do it, and it, and it all sort of 
all, it all came, it all sort of turned on, you know? So it's just like the bigger the, the bigger toolbox you have to sort of dive into, the better chance you have of being able to solve people's problems it, it is my experience. Yeah. And, that, you know, the, even in private practice, you know, like that's the thing that annoys me a little bit about maybe some of the new graduates that are coming out is that they're sort of not really sort of given the nervous system and the, the, the adjustment or the manipulation as the framework to sort of build your practice around. You know, it's almost like, well, do a bit of massage here, do a bit of taping here, get some dry needling in there, you know, um, and you're like, well, hang on a minute. Um, aren't you forgetting something here? Um, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... That 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 that's a whole other that's, that could be a whole other discussion, you know what I mean? But like, uh, I, I genuinely think that I just I just think that like, my, as a philosophy, just trying to strive for kind of some kind of excellence in terms of what you're trying to achieve, you know what I mean? Like, one of the things I've always done, you know, I'm, uh, this is my 18th year being a chiropractor, but I, I still genuinely think I know very little about what's going on. You know, I have a lot of experience, and I've seen a lot of things, and I have a lot of. You know, but if you'd asked me 15, the irony of it is, if you'd asked me 16 years ago and I was out, graduated two years and you know, I did well at university, I got a first in my in my degree and stuff. I was like, yeah, I've got this. This this is easy. I've cracked it. I thought this is gonna, this is just this is easy. 18 years later, 16 years later from the first two years out, I was like, you know what? I was miles off it. I didn't really know everything that I thought that I knew, and it's really humbling and it's really nice. And the fact that I'm still learning now, all the time, that keeps me that keeps me hungry because there's so much more research now. There's so much more we know about how the brain works now than even when we graduated. You know what I mean? You know, that science has a half-life of seven years. So like seven years down the line, you, 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 half the stuff we knew is kind of like not really true. Even, even if you look at what we were taught, what, you, what we were taught at university about pain, that pain science then was, was 15 years out of date then. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now it's like 30 years out, out of date. Yeah. Mate, don't talk to me. I'm a chiro- I'm chiropractor 25 years, so I'm 25 years out of date. So you've got to keep you gotta keep on top of it, right? You've got to keep yeah. reading, keep learning, keep mm-hmm. sort of assimilating information. And that's that's the great part about our jobs. It's like I, 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 to be fair, it's pretty like most jobs. It's never standing still, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mate, so look, let's uh, expand out a little bit further then as well because of this, um, you know, you've covered a lot of things with regards to, you know, the key players that are helping your athletes perform at their best, right? Um, and you've got the Swannies and the Kairos and, you know, your, your docs there. I've, I've listened to Kevin Sprouse talk a bit about um, what he does with sort of uh, helping them uh, athletes perform better. But, you know, just, just that whole... I guess let's wind it back to the very start of the season, right? Where you're in that sort of pre-season training camp. What's your role there um, as like lead physical therapist and and, and the whole medical team there? And and just talk us through maybe some of the stuff that happens on training camps and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so training camps, they they, they can be some of the busiest time of the year because it might, I mean, saving this year and last year, well, last year actually we did have one and then then the world changed. But like typically in a training camp, you'll have... It's a, it's a one point of the year where all 30 riders and most of the staff will come together. But normally we wouldn't send all the chiropractors to a race, so I might, so to, to the training camp, so I might be the only one there or I might bring another one along with me if there's one that I'm integrating into the team or show them how it works. So typically, again, because we don't, training camps are, are for, a few things happen there. Fundamentally, it's to, do, it's to get all the promo headshots, that kind of thing. It's to sort of explain to, the, to all the riders what the sponsors are and who the partners are that we're working with. And then the stuff in terms of medical intake and that kind of thing, that's a part of it, but we've got to fit that around everything else. So usually it'd be me trying to contact each of the riders saying, okay, ones that I know, 
it's fine. They might want to check up. They might want to work through. The ones that I don't know, the new riders, it's a case of introducing them to how our team works, how we do it, trying to screen them, find out if there's anything that they've got had um, historically going on. Because one of the things that I think that our team does very well, and I've, you know, I, I genuinely believe this, is that we've had many athletes over the years in the, in the time that I've been on the team who might have either been either end of the bell curve of their of their career, early doors in their career, uh, or, or towards the end in the twilight of their career. We're not because we're not such a massive budget team. We don't we don't pick and buy the riders necessarily at the top top of their game. So what does that mean? That basically means that biomechanically, through Cairo, through hands on work, through exercise, through through medical, through sports science, we have to try and optimize our athletes by getting them as, as in as best shape as possible. So there's multiple cases over years where I think we've been able to do that, which is quite, and, and been able to elevate a rider's um, ability and capability by basically trying to optimise how they, how they feel, how they work, their strength, their biomechanics, and all those kind of things. So on a training camp, it's trying to identify who has holes, who has gaps, who has easy wins, easy things we can, we can try and fix, um, and basically explaining the process and then going through and screening like I might sit on a few bike fits like this last week we've had one or two riders who've been having bike fits so there's like a working group that might get wrapped around them in terms you know might be a sports scientist the, the doc myself the bike uh, the actual bike fitter whoever that may be wherever they may they may be trying to sort of wrap around so I think that's the best way to describe it so we're trying to wrap around as much care so whereas we're whereas we might not be the best budget team we might not have the best or the biggest budget team I would say we 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 really do have really good wraparound care, I'd say. And yeah. that's, that, that starts at the training camp. So do, do you reckon that you, it sounds like you guys do what should be happening out there in the real world is the bike fitters are there with the chiropractors, with the people who understand these athletes' body. The athlete gives the feedback. And then it's not just an isolated bike fit saying, right, we need to get you in this position, right? Um, it's like, I mean, okay, well, what can we do to enable you to get into that position better um, as a chiropractor or as a strength conditioning guy? Right. Yeah, so, so, so that's exactly right. I mean, I've worked, we've done it so, this is year 13, as I say, we've done it so many different ways. Um, we've had bifitters come in, we've had different bifitters come in, we've done it remotely. And, and, and my my philosophy, if you like, my belief is we should be able to get the body to do what we want it to do. Let's optimise the body first and then let's look at the bike fit af- after that. As long as there's no big outliers bike fit wise um, my my view is let's get the body working so they can they can accommodate this bike right so we've had that um we, we we have a good working relationship and we might use external bike fitters and sometimes we we, we brought them in in the past but it's having it's, it's basically a conversation rather than a bike fitter saying this is x oftentimes what we'll get um like our sports scientists and i had a performance might take a guy on a lab or in a wind tunnel or, or simulate a wind tunnel and say look, Matt, if we can get them to hold this position, then we'll save 20 or 30 watts. Is it possible? How is it possible? How do we do that? And sometimes I'll go, yeah, it might be possible to get them in that position, but get them to hold it for 40 minutes, that's going to be very difficult and that's going to have knock-on effects to this, that, and the other. So that's, again, where that conversation comes in. So you say, okay, it's a compromise. Biomechanically, I think we can get them to do this. That's quite an easy win. But let's not, just because just the numbers say that, that's not sustainable. You know what I mean? If, you, if X is sustainable for two minutes and Y is sustainable for 40 minutes, yes, X might be 20% uh, more, more efficient, but Y might be 15% more efficient, but you can hold it for longer. Therefore, let's let's go that. So it, it, that's why it's nice having a lot of uh, different skill sets and on the team 
and we have these conversations, you know what I mean, around around an athlete's needs. And that goes from everything from right from the sports science to the medical, right down to the chef and nutrition side of things. You know what I mean? It's, it's a real big support. You know, that, that's what I consider myself, part, just part of that support network. Yeah. Uh, well, it's nice that you bring up nutrition too, right? Because, you know, I'm sure, well, I'm sure you play a role in the sort of the, the psychology, sort of psychological help of these guys too, you know, when you're just checking in with them all the time. But I remember a while back you were talking about, um, you know, I know sort of a team chef and like uh, chef trucks and all that sort of stuff is a fairly big part of this pro cycling team now too, where there's a really controlled environment of food, right? But do you guys still do that thing whereby you try and feed the guys really sort of, uh, or you make sure they are not eating pro-inflammatory food throughout the entire thing? Um, yes. Yeah, so that, that, that basically, that kind of that kind of started in 2008, nine. I mean, when I first started with a team, like I, I was not, I was not cycling wasn't at my sport, right? So when I came into it, some of the things that I'd seen in um, in cycling, I was like, "This is obscure. Why do they eat pasta every every night, and why do they have red meat and steak five times a week?" Let's say, and I, it didn't make sense, right? So that's kind of when I sort of started questioning and challenging, and then, and then JV sort of said, "Okay, well, look, what research it? Tell us what you think." And then we did a lot of work with. Um, Barry Sears of Zone Nutrition, looking at omega-3, uh, AA and EPA balance, that kind of thing. And then we sort of, we kind of, I wouldn't say we, we didn't develop the anti-inflammatory diet, but it got picked up in the press and that's kind of how it, how it, how it sort of got spun. But fundamentally, like you say, it was more a case of let's not make it pro-inflammatory. So, and I'd say even this day now, 12, 14 years later, we have, we that's that's our, our, our mantra is very much give them nutrient-dense, low pro-inflammatory food that they can easily be assimilated because you know as we know digestive health gut health is a big part of it we've had many athletes over the years um have digestive issues and that can really derail a big chunk of your season so it's really important i mean i haven't had many athletes with it but what i'm saying is that's a part that's a big part of it is, is the nutritional aspect so we still to this day have and we've just got a new chef this year actually we just changed chef this year and we've got a great new young chef who is um who's new to pro cycling and again sometimes it's nice to get fresh eyes fresh perspective but he's been explained our philosophy if you like you know we've said look this is how we like to do things this is why we we like to do things and that's our sort of framework if you like and you know go and be as creative as you can within within that framework it must be that mad crossover too sometimes where maybe if you get a new athlete in or someone that you've maybe been seeing for a little while and then they have this sort of pattern of recurrence of some sort of neurological compromise right and then you're sort of checking all the usual stuff and then you, you eventually get down to what is actually stressing that person's system and then it turns out to be nutritional or something, right? Um, and then that's another aspect of you having to deal with them with the nutrition advisor slash chef, you know, and then saying, right, well, let's give this guy a break from pasta or whatever uh, or, or whatever it is that you think some, um, uh, you know, compromising his performance. And then that's another way to sort of get that gain, isn't it? You know? Exactly. I mean, I, I'll say that we've touched, We've been we've been pretty fortunate because we have always had really good chefs who are really on message and on the script, and we've had a good thread from top to bottom. There's a there's a there's a really good understanding of, amongst all the staff about what's kind of required. If you like. like, even if you look like our team without a limb, when he was on our team back in the day, he was one of the first people that I know that was making these rice cakes. Now, right? So yeah. like making rice cakes for the rice to take on in the bike. Like, now you you won't find a team that doesn't make rice cakes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there, there, there's certain things which kind of, 
at the start seemed a bit crazy. I mean, I remember being at Tour de France back in the day, like 2009, and you go into Alan's room and he's literally got a mobile frying pan out and he's cooking up the stuff because he was the one that was making it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's, and, and, and now, and then, and then it kind of went full circle. And now the Soigniers just do it as part of their daily routine. They make a fresh batch of rice cakes every day for the next day. It's just what happens. Do you know what I mean? Who was that? Alan who? Alan Lim. Hi, Alan Lim. Yeah, so he, um, he, he's got his scratch, scratch, he, scratch is his drink mix company that he has. All uh, right. Okay. Um, now, a team like, you know, a mobile restaurant is now a normal thing, right? I wouldn't say so. I mean, there are one or two teams with with, with mobile restaurant trucks. Ineos, for example, have one. I, I think I saw. I think I saw uh, Bahrain Merida had one the other day. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, I, I still wouldn't say that's the norm. I wouldn't yeah. say it's the norm. Okay. Chef trucks have become norm again. I think yeah. we were one of the first teams to have a chef truck, and it's bizarre because we had a chef truck, and I think we still got the same tri- chef truck from ten years ago. And now everyone's got these like massive things, and ours is like parked in a car park next to these behemoth type chef trucks but like um but the but yeah that's a norm like but again 2008 2009 we 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 turn, we go to rate I'm doing wrong there's nothing it's not I'm not saying that that, that our team invented the, the chef or the chef's truck I'm not saying that at all but what I'm saying is now you won't find many teams without a chef and their own chef truck it's yeah. just been, you know as I said it everything's becoming bigger more how can we create more support around the riders. How can we stabilise the environment, give them what they need to allow them the platform to perform? Do you guys do the mattress thing? No. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're fine. I mean, and to be fair, I think those that did do the mattress thing, some do and some some don't. I mean... Yeah, as in they did it for a while and they're like, this is a pain in the ass and let's not do that, right? Exactly. And uh, but even like... Even like uh, like when I when I speak to when I speak to staff and other team in other sports, like take football for example, and I show them some of the hotels we might stay in a cycle, they still can't believe it. But like yeah. the difference, the difference in football is if you go if you're working in football, yes, there's one team at one hotel for a match that night, right? If you're cycling, there are 20 teams with 30 people plus all the TV crew, and it's moving every day. So you need like 4,000 beds a night at the Tour de France, for yeah. example. So it's inevitable you're going to get some crappy hotels because there just aren't that many beds yeah. with nice <laughs> hotels. <laughs> mate, let's interrupt slightly. Quick fire round of questions for you, mate. Um, yeah. Coffee or tea? Are you a coffee drinker? Both, mate, both. I, 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 I'm really, and, and why I say that is because this is a little bit obscure and I get laughed at it quite a lot. But when I get up in the morning, I have a cup of tea and then half an hour later, I have a cup of coffee. <laughs> Proper British, yeah, got to start with a cup of tea, right? Yeah, yeah. start and end of the day with a cup of tea, yeah. <laughs> um, who's your fi- favourite rider you worked with over the years? God, that's a very tough question. Who's your favourite rider? Uh... Yeah, we, there, there's, there's been a few. I mean, I we've had, we had a good few. Names that spring out at the top of my head, like Brad Wiggins was very fun when he's on the team. Um, we have Hugh Carthy now. He's very entertaining when he's on the race. Um, uh, TJ Van Garderen, I've got a lot of time for. Uh, like, like top, 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 top guy. And we have, you know, so, so there's, there's been so many. There's been so many. Mike Woods, great guy. Dan Martin, great guy. I mean, there's too many to there's too many to sort of name. I don't really have one, to be honest. Yeah. No, mate. And yeah, you know, it's uh, it's kind of cool that you're outside. You know, you're definitely not. Well, maybe you are now, but you you weren't a cycling fan at all, right? And uh, and you just sort of come into it, and you're like, 
what you know who who are these guys you came into it as a sports chiropractor and now you're like uh, are, are you a fan of the sport now it's, 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 it's a funny thing isn't it because like genuinely i have a lot of patients that might come see me who are big into cycling you know what i mean and like my cycle okay i've been in it long enough now that my cycling history starts and stops at 2008 you know what i mean so like yeah up, up back into 2008 yeah i can name you this that, and the other i wouldn't i'm a fan of all the people i work with and that i know and over the years there's been a lot of people moved to different teams so i watch a lot of the racing yeah but i still wouldn't say i'm a fan do you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. i've got got a couple of bikes that i the last time I got on my bike, genuinely, uh, I was probably about two or three years ago. <laughs> well, that was my next quick fire question was like, do you ride a bike? And it's like, I bet you've got a great Canada laying around there that's just collecting dust, right? I, I, I've actually got, um, no, I've got, a, I've got a, a Cervelo that I bought um, from when we were Cervelo. S, yeah. I, I can't remember. It's a great bike. Yeah. Um, and, and actually I've got um, Bradley Wiggins is, 2012 spare race bike that he, that he won the Tour de France on, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, so, so, so that that is actually yeah, I have that as well. So uh, that's uh, that's a Pinarello then, I guess, is it? Pinarello dogma, yeah. So yeah. it's the one that was on the is on the is the one that was on the uh, on the roof of the car the year that he won that you know when he won the Tour that year. Yeah, nice. Um, what's your favourite race? Oh, I've gone. Favorite race. My favorite race is um, I love Paris-Roubaix one day race. It's it's fantastic. It's like the Grand. I, I sort of in my head, it's like the Grand National on bikes. That's that's how that's how, that's how I explain it to like non cycling people. And then the Tour de France is nothing like it as well. To be honest, it's it, it's the big show. You know what I mean? It's where everything and every everything's just bigger, brighter, more, more, more. It just feels like it means more because it probably does mean a little bit more. Yeah. Mate, it's cool. It's uh, it's good to have a chat to you about all these things. And it's, um, you know, I hope, uh, I think there's a mix of like, I'm sure there'll be a mix of cycling fans and a mix of um, chiropractors that listen into this. And you're such a humble bloke with regards to, I love the way you were like, look, I've been doing, you, you've been involved in this sport for like 12, 13 years. Uh, and you're like, I feel like I'm just beginning to learn some stuff, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And I, but you know what? The thing I'll say is the thing I'll say is it's like I get asked this a lot by Caros, and this is more for more for, or you know different sort of in different sports. Like the, the 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 element of luck that comes into this. That's why it keeps you very humble. You know what I mean? Like genuinely, I've been. This will be my thirteenth Tour de France I've been to um, this year, and I've been employed by this team for all that time. But there's so much luck that goes that goes around it. So it's like yeah, you have to where timing and opportunity collide you need that luck to make that to make it work you know what i mean so that 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 just like there's nothing there's nothing like oh yeah aren't i great this is fantastic because no it's that's not really how it is it's like i got lucky to get in there okay i think you have to be half decent to stay in there but you know there's it's just it's just about it's just about the ride you know what i mean it's great fun yeah um you guys are sponsored by whoop I'm a bit of yep. a Whoop fan, and I keep banging yep. on about it, right? And uh, I'm looking forward to trying to work out if the chiropractic adjustment affects heart rate variability through Whoop, right? Because um, yeah. you, you know they added that to the journal the other day, right? Which journal? Well, so uh, well because uh, for those that don't know, EF your pro cycling team is basically sponsored by Whoop now, and all the yep. theory, well, yep. supposedly all the staff and riders are on it. Are you on it? Yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. It's underneath there the uh, <laughs> but the um the, 
No, no, the, the, when you fill in your morning journal and you say, what did you do the day before? How much booze did you drink? How uh, much, okay. uh, you know, uh, how much coffee did you drink? Uh, did you have a massage, all that? You can now select on there, did you have a chiropractic adjustment? Ah, uh, okay, right, interesting. So uh, you should get your guys to sort of like uh, start yeah. selecting that. And whenever you get some input um, or, you know, you give them some, I, I guess it's like, I don't know, but you know, that, I'm certainly trying to get my patients in the clinics to anyone who's into it just to start doing that, so I can just genuinely have a look at it, right? I'm also, I mean, the, the, the cool thing about Whoop because I was on a call with them uh, a few weeks back is that all our all our athletes are on it, and so we have this database. So, like, any given time, I can log on and look at all the data. What I'll say is this: some of the heart rate variabilities of the athletes, you're like, oh my goodness! Like one, I see, I remember uh, there's there's guys like consistently hitting 180. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's probably on a recovery day, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm just like, and the thing, the thing is, how our database works, or how our online login works, is for any one of the um, metrics, you can kind of like hit sort, and they give you the best at the top and lowest at the bottom. And it's funny because like all of our staff, all of our riders, are the same ones. So if you most of the metrics, if you tick certain ones, it's like all the riders at the top. All the staff at the bottom, you know what I mean? Leave them out of sleep, flips it around the other way around. But it's really interesting to see. But also resting heart rate must be one of those things too, right? Because these guys must have mega low heart rates, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll see see guys, you won't, it's not uncommon to see guys resting heart rates in their 20s, 30s. Yeah, it's super, super low. And that's the thing, right? Being able to get your heart rate from like 29, 30, 31 up to 180 within a relatively short period of time if you need to, having that range and plasticity. I mean, like the whoop data and because we know now it's no it's nothing, it's nothing new, but like this whole sleep thing is so is so important in terms of for for, 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 for many, many reasons. But like the looking at the whoop data is really interesting. We've been able to actually both predict, if you like, when someone might be getting unwell and we've actually been able to what's other what the other thing that's interesting as a learning tool is that when an athlete has become unwell retrospectively look at their weak data to see okay could you see it coming and and you can yeah. you can and in, and, and for, for our guys how has how it's been really helpful like because some guys want to get into it in all the details right some guys only want to we have riders who, who won't look at the data because they don't want to know the data if they're on a race because yeah. you don't come in the morning and said yeah, your recovery has been crap, but you've got to go and ride five hours today, 180k. No, sometimes you don't want to know that. Yeah. Right? But the um, but what it one of the things that I'd say the biggest thing that's made them is accountable to when they go to sleep. So all the athletes I know that use it is basically when it's like, oh, it's telling me my bedtime is approaching, rather than let me stay up and watch this film or let me finish reading this book. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. In order to get a good score tomorrow, in order to help my recovery, I'm gonna to go to bed now. So that's but that, that it's made them much more comfortable to sleep, and that you know that's never a bad thing. Yeah. No, it's interesting because it's like you know, and and uh, you should definitely try and tap into that sort of like looking at what input and you know what your input has uh, for those guys as well. You know, because it's a, it's another way for them to sort of get the buy-in, I guess, is to like yeah, this it, is really I, making a difference. The thing I will say is that that's that's really difficult because there's so much noise around. It's like how do you how do you find the signal through the noise? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like for example. The, the, on, the, on the other side of that, like, whereas we know, and, and you've probably seen it with, with your patients yourself, is like, the other thing is like, it used to be a, a situation whereby, when I've come in, so I can, how, you know, riders have one or two glasses of wine because it helps with your sleep and helps you recover. Well, we now know 
from riders and staff, everyone who uses it, you have a glass of wine, it messes your sleep up. There's yeah. no, it's, it's unequivocal. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you have caffeine late, it messes your sleep up. So whereas before it was like ideas and theory, when you can see it on your own data from day to day, that's very powerful, you know? Right. That's pretty cool that you you fully embrace that whole thing because, you know, I mean, it could have been just a gimmick, you know, but you guys actually, uh, or, you know, it could have been just like another sponsor to join the team, but it's actually getting some real use uh, or, or uh, no, no, data I, I, out of it. You know? Yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been, you know, to be, to be, to be, to be brutally honest, I think if they weren't a sponsor, I think we'd still use that anyway. So we're really lucky that they do sponsor us. So they're involved in, you know, they are keen on, they see all our athletes' data. They, it it, it works. It's such a, they're such a great partner for us because it, there's so much benefit both ways that can be helpful. Because I'm sure that you'll find that stuff, because there aren't that many pro teams that are sponsored by Whoop, to the best of my knowledge, right? So mm-hmm. consequently, a lot of their data, all of our data, they kind of, they have access to, you know, within the realms of, you know, GDPR and all that sort of caper, but within the realms of what's what's what's, there's a lot of good stuff that can come from that. I think. Yeah, well, the, you know, this um, the was it Will Ahmed, the the guy who owns the company, he sort of prides himself on the fact that he doesn't really sponsor many people, and all the golfers, for example, just use it and pay for the service. You know, yeah. um, but they find that they're obviously into their sort of like little things they can do to improve performance. So there's quite, um, there's quite a few professional footballers I know that actually wear the whoop. Yeah. And like, you know, they pay for it, wear it, use it, and they'll, and they'll even work during matches up here. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great stuff. Now, look, mate, I know your time's precious, but I wouldn't mind asking you a little bit about injury um, and, and your opinion on two things. I know, you know, obviously, injury management is a massive part of what you do to support your team as well. And I know Rigoberto Iran's probably like the craziest injury that is, is that the craziest injury you've seen uh, in your team? Or I mean, for me, Rigo's recovery, and you know, I would say I was a minuscule part of that piece, right? Because like he was in Colombia for most of that recovery. So for most of those, for those that don't know, he sort of had a pretty bad crash two years ago. Crashed like seventy k an hour, like took his shoulder apart, punctured his lung, was in intensive care in hospital for a good week before he could even have the surgery on his shoulder. Uh, and so when I I first saw him at a training camp in in LA like that December, so two, three months later. And I was like, his shoulder was so bad. I mean, like he, he was very positive, but I, you know, we were having discussions. It's like, would he be ready for the tour? Would he be ready for the tour? And I was like, ready for the tour. We'd be lucky to sort of be ready for like activities of daily living. You know what I mean? But to his credit, he basically had like, and he'd he'd send these pictures over. He'd literally have like a team of physios, um, you know, two or three physios, for three, four hours a day, twice a day, just basically on it. You know what I mean? On it, on it, on it, on it, on it. And so from when I saw him in December to when I saw him in in, in, in January, January, February camp, I was like, oh, actually, that's a pretty significant improvement. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the best thing for Rigo last year, to be honest with you, not wasn't the pandemic, but was the fact that the Tour de France was delayed. Yeah. An extra two or three months bought him invaluable time for recovery. Yeah. You know so, so, so genuinely, yeah. I mean, that's the most, that's the biggest comeback because imagine being that good a rider at the, in, in the later stages of your career just to have the motivation to get back to any kind of level. Yeah. When, I mean... Well, can, can you pass a comment then on Chris Froome, right? Because I did spot, I think, ages ago at the time, his X-ray of his femur after his crash, right? Have you spotted that or not? I haven't seen the X-ray. Uh, or, but, but on the Chris Froome one, actually... 
it's quite interesting. So randomly that day when he crashed, I was in clinic and Dan Martin, who, who, who I know uh, quite well, basically I was in clinic and I got a message on my phone that said, holy shit, Froome's going to be out of the tour. He's, he's, he's going to be in a bad way. And I was like, so I literally just went onto social to have a look at like, and there was nothing on Froome. So I, mess- I was like, what are you talking about? And Dan was behind him when he crashed. So he saw him crash into the wall, right? He's like, I've just seen him spaff it into a wall at like 60K an hour, whatever it was. Um, <clears throat> and so at that stage, I, you know, I sort of followed some of the story just as much as, um, as, much as anyone else did. And genuinely, like, again, to get back to some kind of level it is remarkable. Can he get back to the level that he was at? Who knows? Like, mo- there aren't many athletes that get better in their mid thirties. That, that, that's based. So, so that, that's kind of what I would say about that. In, in, in there's been a bit of a, a conversation about, cause it was tour of, uh, it was a tour of Catalonia last week and he didn't climb very well at the tour of Catalonia. Um, but I will say that <clears throat> I've been at a tour of Catalonia three, four years ago when almost identical thing has happened first or second to last climb before the end Chris Froome's dropped when he was at Sky Ineos and I think to myself oh my god is that is that the beginning of the end and he's won the tour 12 weeks later so so for me that tour of Catalonia I'm not saying he's going to come back and win the tour but the fact that he wasn't going great there if you look back at the, in the annals of history you'll find that he's never really gone great there yeah Okay. But, and, and, you know, the difference between Rigo is that it's his upper body and uh, Froome is that it's obviously his leg and main, yeah. you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the two most important parts of your body as a cyclist, right? So, um, I mean, the, yeah. big, the biggest part, the biggest part that's not, it's never really discussed, but the biggest thing that I, and, and I want to say it's never really discussed is we talk about the physical damage, right? <clears throat> the pain, discomfort, what have you. For me, the biggest thing that I've seen working, working with cyclists over the years is, is actually the mental um, anguish because if you've crashed at 70k an hour coming down a mountain imagine what, what you feel like the next time you're going down a mountain at 70k an hour right or even the want or need to do it and what we see more and more now in cycling this is one of the biggest things i've seen since i've been in the sport is previously races were one on the uphill you know what i mean and they used, they used to i wouldn't say they used to poodle down the hill that's not the case but you know uh, um they used to like go down at some speed but now you're seeing races won and lost on the downhill so they're just going and and, and the biggest like when I speak to athletes of other sports, when I speak to the most impressive thing, the most impressive thing that cyclists do, because everyone thinks, okay, good engine, big engine, the fastest guy wins. Well, there's a few things. First of all, riding in a group or riding in a peloton, staying in the first 10 wheels, that is a skill. That is an unbelievable skill because it's so easy to sort of get washed and spat out of the back, ride around the front, spat out of the back. So you've got, you've got some riders who can sit, surf the first 10 wheels. That is an unbelievable skill. And you're like, you're like five mil from the guy to the left, five mil from the guy to the right, five mil from the guy in front of you. So that's a, and you're traveling at 50, 50 K an hour, right? Second thing they do. And the most, the most impressive thing I think they do is they're descending. Cause I've been in races where you're driving down the mountain and they're coming past you and you are, you'll go, you're driving down a mountain, the faster, as fast as a car will take you. And there are guys pinging past you. And it is so scary. I cannot tell you like, like, the danger and the speed, you, you, you don't get that on TV. The speed at which they go down these mountains is phenomenal. And the skill you have to have 
um, on, on on your on your on your on your navigating. And again, this is where technology, I think, has actually pushed the boundaries because now they've got the GPRX files on their Garmin's. So on their Garmin's, they can see when the turns are coming. So yeah. it allows them to sort of go faster into the corners than they would have done before. Because before you go, all right, what's this like? Let me slow down. But now they're like, no, this is a sweep and turn, full gas. So honestly, like next time you watch a race and you see, just 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 try and put yourself in their shoes. The descent is ridiculous. Hey, so being the humble guy you are, you haven't even mentioned the fact that you're also working with, uh, who are you working with now in pro football land? Uh, in football, I, 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 I work at Crystal Palace and then I work with the, uh, the Wales national team as well. Okay. but And who do you support as a uh, punter? Oh, as a punter, I support Everton. Yeah, I think yeah. They, they won the league when I was four or five and, I, and, I, and I'm just loyal, so I just stuck with them. <laughs> What's your connection with Arsenal then? Was there something I, going I, on there? Yeah, I did, a, I did a year working with Arsenal. So uh, the head physio who I worked under at Crystal Palace became head physio at Arsenal. And then, um, and then in his second year, he's like, "Look, we'd like you to come in and work with us for a year." And so I, I went up there for a year. Um, great experience. And then the pandemic hit. And then the key, some of the key sort of decision makers, if you like, in the in medical department. So the head physio left, the head of performance who kind of brought me in left as well. And so, so what you find is in in, in football a lot is that there can be a lot of churn in, in in medical departments because basically a different head will come in and he'll have his guys etc so yeah so I, I worked there for years and it was great it was great fun cool so let's wrap this up then by giving a bit of a comment about that classic football versus pro cyclist as far as hard man goes what's your opinion there <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I mean uh, I football in footballers defence they get a lot of they get they get they get they get um, they get a lot of stick for not being hard men. I, I, my honest opinion, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily see. I've seen much in football to suggest that they're hard men. If I'm if I'm if I'm being totally honest, um, but what I will say is that they are. Again, again, this is the biggest the biggest thing I've seen in football is like it's hard. I think it's just hard mentally because everyone wants to be in that first eleven. If you're not in the first eleven, then it's like how do I get in the first eleven? And then, and then you're on my contract's running out, and then you get injured, and it so it. Being a footballer is not easy. I genuinely think that. I think, you know, they get paid what they get paid. I think, you could, could you argue they get deserve what they get paid? I think so, because market conditions allow that to be sustained. So I have no problems with what they get paid. It is what it is. Um, I think that they, to get to the top in football is such a spiky end and it's so difficult to get to that top. So I think hard isn't the wrong word, but I just think they're just, they're just outstanding at, what they do, right? That, that that shouldn't be taken. That shouldn't be taken for granted. So there's that aspect. Cyclists are they hard? I mean, look, if they get into a bar fight, I think that the footballer's going to win all day long, right? But uh, <laughs> but, it, but because cyclists aren't about you know about seven stone ringing wet, and they have the bone density of you know of our grandparents. <laughs> um, but uh, but in terms of the again having the the fortitude to go out four five hours on your own and train every day and bury yourself. That's not easy. And to, and then again, going back to what I said before, they crash. And when they crash, they got to get back on the bike the next day. And there's that reflex. There's a whole adage in cycling. This is an old school thing. It's like, when you crash, it's like, just get me back on my bike. Let me get back in the race and let me see how I am. So I think that's like, I think they're hard in that respect. I think they're conditioned to just get up and go again. Um, but in terms of, if you look at the danger of the sport, for me, there's nothing that compete. There's nothing compares 
in terms of the danger you'll put yourself in throwing yourself down a mountain at yeah. 67. Look, look at Remco Evanapel, his crash that he had. Look yeah. at some of the guys, John Lee Augustine, when he went over the side of the mountain. I mean, there's, there's been some... It, it's just tough, man. You look at Rigo's injury, he crashed. And the other thing that isn't very well reported in that same crash, we had two other guys crash in that same crash. You know, one one guy, I think Hugh broke his collarbone and, and somebody else did. I mean, it, it, they, they just, they just, it's just tough. Like, even if you fall off your bike, you know, when you're outside cycling with your mates, it, it hurts. Do you know what I mean? It hurts. There's no, there's no giving the concrete. So I think they're hard... Um, but 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 to compare the two is unfair, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for setting the record straight. And mate, look, we should wrap this up. And I wish you guys all the best for the 2021 season. Um, I love the fact that you guys are sort of uh, the the team is also doing that thing where you're diversifying quite a bit too. You know, with Lockie Morton doing all sorts of random stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's some real characters in the team, and um, it sounds like it's a, a real great unit that you know you've been apart for so long. You know, sort of 13 yeah. years. Um, and you know, I'm sure JV is a bit of a taskmaster, but it sounds like you're, um, you know, you you guys are, are really working well together. So, hope all goes well with what appears to be a full cycling season ahead. So, may well yep. that actually happen. And um, mate, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks, mate. Good to speak to you. So we should sort of, if people want to find you, do you want to be found? <laughs> <laughs> on either social or as a if I someone's mean, like dying to see you as a patient do you know what it is do you know what it is it's quite funny because I've never really done this whole I've never advertised myself as being a chiropractor that treats cyclists so people tend to find me through like organically or otherwise and yes I'm on social media but I would say I'm more of a social media voyeur than I am a, a voice <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on yeah I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram I wouldn't say I really use either of them that I just I just don't think I'm down with the kids when it yeah. comes to that. You know what I mean? I can't, I just, <laughs> if I've got five minutes, I just, yeah, I just, I just, I have nothing witty or pithy to say. So, you know. Mate, but you do. But uh, anyway, it's glad that, uh, you know, not everyone could be on it. And the, um, but don't worry, I'll share a couple of links uh, because, again, another good example of uh, your humility is just how you're just like, uh, you know, uh, people will find me if they want me. No, I, I like it. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thanks, mate. Uh, and that was Matt great chat hey uh, I really feel like I've actually learnt quite a few things during that conversation uh, it was great to pull apart exactly what he does on a day to day basis with the team great to see that he uses the the core premise of uh, you know what chiropractic's been about for over a century uh, is about getting the nervous system firing so um, you know a good thing good take home for everyone um, just wanted to give him a shout out uh, he, he funnily enough didn't want to share his well you know uh, was too humble to share his uh, his social stuff so you'll find him at Matt Rabin that is on Twitter and on Instagram his tag is at Matt Rabin too so uh, he also does do consultancy work uh, as a chiropractor in London at a couple of different places. So I'm sure if you Google him, you'll be able to find out where exactly that is. Um, but yeah, look, he's a great guy. Um, I hope you enjoyed the uh, the pod. And obviously, if you're listening to this as a cycling nut, why wouldn't you get adjusted, hey? Um, you know, if it's good enough for the pros, uh, it's probably good enough for you. So um 
you know, check us out at Cairo London. Uh, we've got some great clinics down in southwest and central London, and uh, we'd love to try and help your season take shape in a slightly less painful, more comfortable, better performing way. <laughs> Thanks, guys.